Welcome to Making a Connection, an Intera Technologies podcast. We live at the cutting edge of connectivity, and industry experts will join Making a Connection to help us share what our collective future of networking and communication looks like. Hello, and welcome to Making a Connection with Antera, brought to you by Antera Technologies. I'm your host, James Kent. On February 8th of this year, the city of Oldsmar, Florida, gave a press conference to disclose an unlawful intrusion to the city's water treatment system. Someone on the internet successfully accessed the computer controlling the chemicals used to treat drinking water for the city and changed the level of sodium hydroxide to 11,100 parts per million, which is far greater than the normal amount of 100 parts per million. Thankfully, the attack was detected and normal operating parameters were restored, but this highlights a pretty significant concern for industrial networks. So we're going to dive into this specific area of cybersecurity today with my guest. He is a product manager with Antira, and he has a lot of experience working with various industrial networks. Welcome to the podcast, David Zavesky. Hey, thanks for uh, having me on your podcast. David, quickly, why don't you introduce yourself, uh, give me a quick rundown on your background and your role with Antera. Sure. I'm, like you said, the product manager at Antera Technologies. My background is uh, what will bring something more interesting to this subject matter is that my background is with enterprise networks and not industrial networks. I got started in the banking industry where cybersecurity was extremely important, locking down networks was extremely important. And, um, you know, I learned how to protect a network in that environment. And then later in my career, I ended up going into what I am in now, which is industrial networks. And industrial networks are quite different from enterprise networks. I found that they are required to have quicker responses across networks. But also I found that Many industrial networks are very unprotected, Hmm. and that's what we want to talk to uh, today. Yeah. In the past six months, when it comes to cybersecurity, I I think a lot of people have been focused on cyber attacks from the angle of election security. Uh, There was a lot of concern placed on keeping our elections safe from foreign interference, and it looks like the government paid attention because when you strip away all the theories and the noise, our our election was pretty secure and a, a lot of cybersecurity measures were enacted. But elsewhere, when we look at our infrastructure, critical resources, and industrial networks, the picture gets a little fuzzier. A a little more concerning were quieter attacks that were designed to cause a lot of chaos. Uh, An example is the University of Vermont Medical Center, the largest healthcare organization in the state of Vermont, was hit by a devastating attack on October 28th, which was only a week before the election. It was a ransomware attack, and the university opted not to pay. Instead, they contacted the FBI, and the result was a destruction of computer infrastructure. A lot of critical data, including patient records, were destroyed or made inaccessible. The impact was felt as the vaccine rollout began because a lot of patients and healthcare staff uh, could not be scheduled at UVM facilities due to the attack. What are you seeing out in the field? So, yeah, I I do see uh, from a hacker's point of view, the medical arena is definitely a soft target because I I know that from the enterprise world, which is what those networks are, more enterprise network, they were the least protected. For some reason, (laughs) hospitals and and doctors just didn't think that uh, security on their networks was top priority. They left them a little wide open. But what's surprising is 
and you can understand how it evolved is with the industrial networks. So, for example, you brought up the uh, earlier the example of the sewage treatment plant. So, I've been to several sewage treatment plants. You know, the sales guys bring me there, and they say we're going to go to the water park, and we end up <laughs> going to a sewage treatment plant. And uh, but anyway, it's it's still interesting when you go there. But what happens is that they are a separated, what they call air-gapped network, meaning that there's no connectivity from the outside to the inside. So they feel they're protected from cyber security, you know, cyber attacks and right. stuff like that, which they are, which they are. And um, and that's great. But what happens is, is at some point or another, somebody gets the bright idea of, hey, I want to be able to monitor the system remotely and I want to collect that data and I want to publish it so, so that I can uh, see what's going on so I can better create budgets for the future or you know create better infrastructure plans. Mm. And as soon as they do that, they attach that network to the public network or you know the internet. Somehow they want to get that data to the internet. It's like they've created a backdoor. <laughs> they did. And unknowingly, they don't realize how much they've opened themselves up for attack. And that's, that's, that's what happens is and suddenly somebody can get in. And like you said, they can change some small parameter. I mean, they're not going to go in there and steal gobs of information that they can use later. It's not that kind of environment. But it is, like you said, they can change something in the system. And specifically, there are these little live organisms that do all the work in the sewage treatment plant. And uh, if you kill them all off, it takes weeks for them to grow back. And uh, what do you do with the sewage every day that's not treated that goes through that plant? Mm. <laughs> you know, you can't just say, hold on to it <laughs> until we're ready. It just keeps flowing. So it can cause a health problem, you know, so an attack like that can cause a health problem. If you can imagine every sewage treatment plant across America gets attacked at the same time. I mean, we're oh. talking, you know, a, a crazy, crazy concept. But, you know, if it happened, where would we be? We would be in a little bit of trouble. Well, yeah, I think in the Oldsmar, Florida uh, attack, the issue was that there was team viewer software installed in a workstation used to control the water treatment process. And then an outsider was able to connect to it. It's, it's, it's almost like from an outsider's point of view, you can't believe that this stuff is happening. Uh, but yet it is. And I'm wondering also with the pandemic and a lot of people now working remotely, that desire, as you said, to want to connect to the network from the outside is probably very strong. And I'm not sure a lot of uh, networks have planned for something like that. And now we're going to have all these issues. That is, that is true. And, uh, you know, like I said, it, it's an evolving issue. It's because every one of these networks was air-gapped, meaning that they were protected because they were not connected. And then somehow they get connected or someone gains connectivity to it. So, for example, I've worked with networks that monitor all of the streets in a city. So they control all the lights in the city. And uh, while I was working on this, I found that all the lights were connected to one giant network. And I could see every traffic light and every controller from my vantage point. Wow. And so that means that if somebody jumps on to a box that's near a traffic light and connects their laptop, they now have access to all the traffic lights. Oh, now, that particular scenario has been fixed where I was because well, <laughs> I, I brought it up. But it's the fact that, you know, people are rolling this stuff out. They, these are engineers that are not 
necessarily enterprise network engineers. Mm. And they are used to automation where in automation, you have to get the the frame or the information from point A to point B as quickly as possible with no hesitation because in many automation networks, it's it's a, a an absolute critical thing that that information gets there. If you think about it for a minute, if you had an automation network where there was machines working and a a full stop signal had to be put out so that somebody you know doesn't get hurt. Well, that information needs to get fully sent to everything immediately. So everything stops within, you know, milliseconds. Mm. That's the mindset of a automation network engineer. And there are some of those guys are implementing, let's say these, uh, networks that are across, uh, across these cities controlling these traffic lights. Well, they're not thinking about, okay, it's critical that they communicate, but it's even more critical that we make sure we know who's communicating with them. So do the same cybersecurity solutions apply across all industrial networks or do specific industries need different degrees of security measures and protocols? That's the kind of interesting thing about network security is that there isn't like a single solution. Every application requires a unique solution. Well, it it may not be completely unique. I mean, there's definitely certain things that you put in place. There are firewalls. There are, you know, intrusion detection firewalls. And then there's devices that you place throughout your network to determine connection or intrusion within your network. Because if you're only detecting at the front line and somebody gets around the front line, you no longer can detect them. Hmm. So there's detection devices. And then there's just flat out prevention devices where you can block communication. And that's, that's probably the simplest thing that people or any engineer can really do is look at your network and say, hey, I know that I have ABC devices and I know that A device needs to communicate with B and C, but B and C don't, they never need to communicate with each other. So I should block all traffic going from B to C. Well, that's great because if now somebody hacks in at B, at least they can't get to C. (laughs) Right. And that sort of thing. Are there specific industrial network types that you feel are more vulnerable than others? Are there particular industries that just, for instance, we talked about water treatment. Are there other types of situations where you feel that they probably are more vulnerable than others? So, yeah, I think that, you know, water treatment is, I like to talk about water treatment because it doesn't give, doesn't scare people all that much. They're like, okay, we're going to have to deal with a couple days of water, sewage water somewhere. Okay. Uh, but that's kind of, uh, you can, you can see that. But what if it was, uh, the drinking water? Right. What if the drinking water was contaminated? That's a lot more serious. And that doesn't go away in a day or two or a week. We don't know how long that could take if contaminated water gets into our pipeline system. Or what about our power? We had, uh, recently people were out of power in Texas for, you know, up to a week, I think. And um, it was terrible. Well, imagine what that could be across the country if we had no power for a week. Now, Antira, you are involved from the networking solution side. When working with clients, are there specific cybersecurity recommendations you are making on how they set up their networks and the type of architecture they're setting up? How, how do you help specifically? There are many layers to protecting a network. And Antera is not something that has the entire solution, nor is 
anyone else. We all have our own layer of the solution. At Antero, we provide connectivity between devices at the ethernet level. And at that level, we can put protections in place that will limit connectivity between devices and uh, thus help secure the network in several other different ways as well. But we are not the firewall. Right. The firewall is a whole nother application or another layer. And there are other layers on top of that as well. So it is a teamwork to lock down a network. And uh, Antera is part of that team. You're an ingredient in the overall recipe. Yes, exactly. So obviously this is an important topic and protecting these networks should be a priority for every organization. But yet we keep hearing about these attacks. We've covered this a little bit, but I guess in, in your estimation, how little is being done and why and what can we do about it? You know, is it is it difficult to make these changes? Is it a staffing issue, a planning issue, cost issue, or, or is it that the hackers are just more knowledgeable than the people on the industrial side hired to ensure this doesn't happen? Well, what are your thoughts? First, there's education. I think that um, a lot of people don't realize how vulnerable their network is as soon as they connect, let's say, in uh, LTE router that gets information from their network up to the internet. They don't understand that that instantly makes that network much more vulnerable. So that's one. But I think it also comes down to staffing and budgeting. The staff isn't necessarily equipped to handle the, the difficulties involved with network security. Uh, they're completely capable of doing it. They just haven't been trained. It's either the budget or time constraints. Well, and time constraints are budget too, right? They should hire another person to give people more time to, to do some training. And that doesn't usually happen. You know, a lot of these things, especially let's go back to, I hate to keep going back to the sewage treatment plant, but it's just such a good example. It's a municipal facility and they don't, they don't get paid much there. I mean, they, the, the, People just don't want to pay for that feature in their in their society. They'd rather put money into, let's say, schools. But even, let's face it, even our schools are under budgeted, right? Everything is under budgeted. And, and so that's where it starts is there's not the budget for it. I think that between no budget and lack of education, those two things are causing the problem. Once that gets resolved, I think that the budget will increase then we'll be able to train and then we'll have our, our security guys come in and, and do that, you know, fix the networks. If we're always going to be dealing with budget constraints, staffing constraints, what would you say are a few things that IT departments should be doing or could be doing right now to better protect their networks from future attacks? Are there a few, you know, simple recommendations that might make a difference? Sure. I should start back at saying, if you want the big rule of network security, the rule is don't give access to anything or anybody that doesn't require access. I can remember not giving access to certain files to the president of one of the banks that I worked with. And he was, he was just like, why, why don't I have access to these files? And I said, because you don't need access to these files. But I'm the president, <laughs> but you don't need access to these files. And, and, and I tried to explain to them is what happens if somebody breaks into your account? Then they have access to everything. But if they break into the account now, they only have access to these things. If you need access to something, you just tell me and I'll grant you that access. 
no problem. But we minimize your access now. And that's the same thing for a person or for a machine or for anything on the network. If you can minimize the access, then you can minimize the exposure. That's good advice. Um, I, I can't argue with that. David, we're just about out of time for this episode. Is there anything else about securing industrial networks we haven't covered in our discussion that you think it is important to mention before we go? Well, I would just say if anybody wants to know a little bit more about you know, how to just secure their industrial network with Antero devices, we're always more than happy to uh, take your phone call, listen to you, and see what we can do to help you out. Hey, you know what? That, that was a great lead into my, my final question, which was, if people want to get in touch with Intera to learn more about the solutions they provide, what's the best way to get in touch? You mentioned phone. I mean, is there a website that we should point people to? Sure. You can go to our website, which is antera.com, or you can call us up. There's a phone number at the bottom of that. The support desk is amazing at Antera, and um, they will guide you to the right person as well. If it's a, uh, a pre-sales and you want help engineering your network, we definitely have field application engineers that can help not only just with your network infrastructure, but how to lock down your network infrastructure as well. So a uh, lot of help at Antero. We always like listening and we like learning about new networks and new places and new things. So give us a call. Perfect. Well, this has been a really insightful conversation and I truly appreciate your insights today. My guest today has been David Zavesky, product manager at Antera. David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for tuning in to Making a Connection with Antira. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We have some more great topics coming up on future shows that you won't want to miss. And be sure to leave a rating and a comment after each episode. Let us know what you'd like covered on an upcoming show. On behalf of Antira, I'm your host, James Kent. Let's talk again soon.